Medic! Brand new podcast, everybody. Late Calls, episode number two. And I've got a couple stories here uh, about uh, bullying and when cops transport uh, to the hospital our trauma victims um, let's just get right into it um number one this episode or this uh article here nurse speaks out against colleagues who bully ems workers and this uh this showed up in nursing.org or nurse.org and uh, online content and uh by cameron hershey uh, if you guys uh, don't know who that is, he's uh, he's got a really decent social media presence. It's uh, at TraumaCam on uh, Instagram. And uh, yeah, here it goes. Uh, it says, lately we've seen uh, all the viral sensations to stomp out nursing bullying. Uh, while the cause is noble, nurse bullying is not just isolated within the profession. In fact, I can argue some of the worst cases of bullying I've seen in healthcare is initiated by nurses towards those in other patient care positions. So he's talking about age-old rivalry of the ICU versus the the ED, um, and you know, that's great. Um, it says one relationship I've watched many nurses work little to cultivate. Uh, I witness a large lack of understanding and growing disrespect daily. Uh, and it's nurses versus EMS, including medics, paramedics, and other pre hospital personnel. Um, and you know, I get it. I think it's uh, I think it's gone on for years. And it says, uh, now, I admit there's a large number of nurses that do respect our pre-hospital brothers and sisters, and in my opinion, there's also a growing number of those who don't. Uh, and he is also a critical care transport RN, so he's got the, the pre-hospital point of view as well, or at least the inter-facility inter point of view. Um, it says, I'm not only witnessing this treatment, he's actually experiencing it. And it kind of starts to, it goes into saying, you know, there's kind of an unwritten hierarchy in healthcare. And it's a you know presumption that those who are in pre-hospital care are somehow beneath those that work in the hospital. You know, I I would I would tend to agree with that, but I don't know that I've ever taken that as you know I'm being bullied or that people think I'm I'm beneath them. Um, again, paramedic, para, you know, it's medical terminology, extreme ends of you know, and we we when we lecture. The hospital is a nice, comfortable, climate-controlled, well-lit area, you know, where everything is at your fingertip versus the ambulance where it's the back of the truck, the van, the whatever, and you've only got what you've got. You've got your bag, you've got your equipment on the wall, and that's it. And then pre-hospital, you know, we work in an austere environment, you know, and I think a lot of pre-hospital clinicians wear that like a badge, which is awesome. You should. You absolutely should. You put in the time. You put in the continuing ed. You know you can work in those less than favorable conditions. So when you are in those favorable conditions, man, you put your feet up and you're like, oh, this just flows. No problem. And it says, I cannot count the times I have watched a nurse treat an EMS crew with disrespect. Uh, you know, He says he understands. The nurses are overworked, understaffed. Well, we've heard that story before on the EMS side. This really isn't an argument of, you know, who's got it better, EMS or, or nursing. And then it says, on the other hand, uh, if you've ever imagined completing your work in the back of a 5 by 8 box barreling down a bumpy highway with limited time, it is what it is. That's our job. Um, you know, it is what it is. And it goes on, talks to a couple a couple instances where he's seen it. I've watched nurses scoff at EMS crews for failing to start an IV. Uh, they've criticized the dressing or even allow the, the patient to urinate on themselves. Um, you know, I've had that that exchange thousands of times. We didn't put a line in. I'm like, yeah, just you didn't need it. Okay, no big deal. Uh, I'm having a, maybe a, a little bit of a more rougher day. You're like, yeah, I don't work for you. I don't work for the hospital. And again, 
I've never said that maliciously. It's always been like, ah, you know, yeah, I guess you'll have to do some work today. Uh, not a, it's it's not like, wow, well, I got to get two lines in or the nurse will be mad at me. It's never been that ever, not ever. Uh, I've watched nurse, I've watched nurse practitioners and triage nurses grill paramedics as if they were hiding some bit of information or were purposely avoiding a treatment. Um, I can't think of a time where that's happened at, at all. Um, maybe I'm just lucky. I, I don't know. Um, you know, the, to me, the the advent of uh, electronic bedside PCRs has really you know, f- changed the attention span of, of our of the RN. Um, there's plenty of times where you used to come in, give a great report. You know, you'd have the nurse's attention, and now it's like, what's her social? And they look them up, and you're trying to be like, yeah, a 65-year-old female, Miss Jenkins, and uh, she started having chest pain about three hours ago, worsening over time. She took three nitro with no relief, and they're like, um, do you still take um, this daily med? And you're like, you're, you're not listening. You know, uh, that's, I mean, that, again, I don't feel bullied. I feel disrespected, mostly because if you just want to hear my one-minute handoff, and then you can go and check your boxes and ask them if they feel safe at home. Is anyone harming them? All you know, you have things to do. I have things to do. We we need to we need to remember that. Um, and that computer is not your life. No matter what your administration told you, that patient you need to have the interaction with your patient. If you're just there to check boxes, go home. I mean, that's that's a, that's another problem in healthcare. Um, what else here? Listen to staff groan and moan about the cleanliness of their patients, the lack of knowledge an EMS crew has, or even the miscalculation of an ETA. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. Not jokingly, I might be like, yeah, we're 10 minutes out, and two minutes later, we're pulling into the room. And they're like, I thought you were 10 minutes out. I'm like, well, we we weren't. My bad. I, I look at the world through a two-by-two two piece of plexiglass uh, moving backwards in the ambulance, and I'm not really good at calculating time that way. Um, and again, in my world, uh, I still feel that you're lucky I even called to pre-notify you that I was there. Again, it's a courtesy. It's a courtesy. And again, I'm not saying I'm trying to screw you over like tonight. Let's give the ETA wrong for every inbound patient. It's not, I don't, not do it on purpose. And again, I understand it's a symptom of being overworked and understaffed so it says we're all in this together support and inclusivity across healthcare teams great um you know he has a he has a kind of a a solution to some of it to kind of start helping us you know get along with each other or um at least have an idea of what the other is going through Uh, all er icu and critical care nurses should be required to participate in at least 24 hours worth of clinicals with both als and bls pre-hospital crews to perhaps give us a better understanding of what they have to deal with daily that's worthless it's absolutely worthless um because you know as you know mr murphy would have it you damn well know that those nurses are going to ride with you on a no-hitter day where you're posted in a parking lot or your station and you're pretty much your entire job is holding down a recliner uh, or deciding which delicious roller dog is not is going to make me the least sick at the uh, at the gas station education is probably going to get you a little bit further um, but or have the medics come in to talk to you during your nursing class or your or your con ed 
And, and I'm not saying I don't want you there. We've had nurses ride with us. We have intern extern programs, and it's you know it's no big deal. I don't think they walk away going, oh my god, the next 25 years I'm gonna absolutely be nicer to these people. And if that's what you're trying to do, I mean, I don't really, I don't, I don't see the the benefit there at all. I'm not opposed to it. I just don't see the benefit of it because it's it's a one time thing when you have usually no experience uh, in nursing school and you're still trying to figure out you know what what you're there for. Uh, so the hospital staff, uh, doctors, unit nurses, CNAs, and everybody understand these crews have fewer resources, less time, less support than we could ever think of, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but they mean, maintain cordial even when you're not. Yeah, I mean, we just wait to vent till we're in the ambulance. Or sometimes it got bad enough where you have it out in the ED. I mean, you know, there's, there's times you push the wrong button and, you know. Here we are. Um, so, and, and again, you know, it's a time to respect our EMS crews. So there, res- respect is the is the operative word, and stop the bullying. I don't believe if it's, uh, I don't believe lack of respect and bullying are the same thing. I think people are using the word interchangeably, and it comes back to you know playing the old way. Well, you you got to have thick skin in this game, and now I guess there's a change that uh, just saying that term is, is a is a red flag to bullying if you say, well, you got to have thick, thick, thick skin in the EMS game. That's like uh, saying, well, I, you know, all of a sudden I, I you have to be prepared to be bullied. I, I don't know that it's bullying. I believe it's a lack of respect or lack of knowledge, um, you know, because it's coming from inside the hospital versus outside the hospital from our patient. Um, you know, I just don't, I guess I'm having a hard time under, understanding what it really is. Like it says, we're all working toward the same goal and uh, we're all in it together. And that's fine. I, I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, you guys can check out uh, Cameron Hershey's stuff on, on Instagram, TraumaCam, at TraumaCam, T-R-A-U-M-A-C-A-M, uh, on Instagram. And he, he's out there. I mean, so I mean, he's got some really good content. And it's nothing against him. I think it's, it's, I think it's a pretty good, you know, opinion piece. But again, personally, my opinion is I just don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not really saying I think there's, you know, there's a difference between bullying and lack of respect, you know, and, and the bullying thing, man, it was, it, it hit, it hit, uh, hit social media pretty hard, uh, this week. There was another, uh, I think that was that article here that was written on November 16th. And it was weird cause it was after, uh, I, I found the next article, which was from EMS one. It was called enough is enough five ways to end bullying and fire an EMS. So all of a sudden, I guess, uh, bullying and fire and EMS is is a big deal. Uh, and you know, oddly enough, we had had a a uh, employee wellness survey that went out at our service uh, about a month ago, and the results got published and it did pretty well. I think it had about a hundred and twelve hundred and fifteen people respond. And uh, there was a question that said, "Have you been bullied in the last several months or whatever it was?" And twenty four people at our service said yes. And now it doesn't say did it bully did the bullying come internally or externally but evidently this is the thing a guy just never maybe i'm getting old in ems i just don't see this there's even parts in here that says well it's part of the job i mean i guess you know again disrespect is part of the job there's always going to be people that don't like you Um, but you know i had to go look up the definition like i had to go look uh, and find out what bullying really is. You know, I just thought it was one of those, well, the third graders do it. Uh, evidently, no, adult bullying is a big deal, and healthcare bullying has been going on for years. The Joint Commission has several position papers on it for, for uh, nurses, doctors, and hospital staff. So this one is uh, enough is enough, five ways to end bullying in EMS. And again, you're going to see some 
similarities here to the last article. Um, so this came from uh, Paige Wolfberg and Worth. Uh, so, you know, EMS legal stuff. And it says we need to do more to improve the care and compassion we show to our fire and EMS brethren. So great. Plenty about harassment and discrimination, much less being said of the problems with bullying and fire and EMS. Uh, this woman, she was um, she was recently at an EMS conference. She heard the speaker give a very poignant discussion on suicide at EMS. He discussed six different people from around the country who had all committed suicide as a result of their participating in fire and EMS activity. Okay. Public safety suicide, big deal. Absolutely. Um, and she goes on to say, you know, when she's been, when she's visited clients, she's heard comments is suck it up buttercup as a fire company. We expect people to have thick skin. If you can't handle the heat, get out of the firehouse. Um, I've heard pe people jokingly call each other derogatory and offensive names, which were presumably be intended to be in jest. I've also heard people getting screamed and cursed at for not completing assignments. I could definitely go on with other examples but i think you get the point okay to me i i think again my my opinion i've heard every single one of those in the last 25 years in ems um you know i i, I don't specifically know that where this is is bullying again i believe it's perception um but when you you know you look at the definition of bullying, you know using a position of of higher power or perceived power inequality to you know get something from the person who doesn't have that power, uh, that's uh, or like the the threat of uh, or the perceived threat of harm or whatever you know that that's what we're talking about. So these con these con she says these kinds of comments and behaviors have no business in the fire and EMS workplaces. These comments and behaviors are each examples of bullying in action they need to stop. Um, and it says a lot of it is very very emotional and being emotional about some calls does not make anyone a bad EMS provider or firefighter. Rather it makes them human. So here here is where I have a, the problem with this article. So we've to me we've made a transition from the bullying end of this or disparaging comments into, uh-oh, I told someone suck it up after a perceived bad call, and now that person, because of that comment, goes and kills themselves. Well, now it's an absolute legal issue if it comes back that somebody said suck it up. That's not where, you know, we need to go. Okay, this should be be nice to people and don't bully because you should be a good person, not because we need to cover your ass if down the road someone remembers me saying to somebody, dude, suck it up. You know, people die and they're going to come in. This guy, somebody kills himself. And they're like, I remember that time Chris told that guy, suck it up. People kill them. People die all the time. And then all of a sudden I'm the asshole because I bullied. And you no, know, it was because I made a shitty comment because I'm a bad person and was like, oh, well, I don't know how to deal with it. You know, I don't know what to say. Maybe I'm not really good with my words. So she she outlines she outlines five five um, measures to get rid of bullying or or do whatever. <clears throat> it says show care and compassion for your coworkers. Uh, never suggest that your colleagues could, should suck it up and get a thicker skin. Uh, refer them out to an employee assistance program. Encourage the coworker to use it. Again, this is in context to difficult calls or, you know, perceived bad calls. Uh, never make fun of your coworkers for any reason. I don't even know why you wrote that. <laughs> I mean, you're just, there's there's not one of you listening who's never goofed off with your partner. Not ever. Not 
ever. It's called human nature. Um, you're not going to get away from it. Now, there's absolutely levels from it. And their example is, again, one extreme of it. It's never okay to make fun of your coworkers. What you think is a harmless joke may not be so harmless to the person hearing it. For example, a bigger person knows that he or she is big, and that person may laugh when you joke about their size, but many people just internalize comments, put on a brave face, and no one enjoys being made fun of regardless of how well they may seem to outwardly take it. I get it, okay? Um, within the last week, the EMS capades... Uh, comic came out and it, it was uh, Thanksgiving related and uh, they, they're sitting on the recliners they just ate and whatever and the one dude's talking to his partner he's like man I'm thinking about you know all the all the great things about Thanksgiving things I'm thankful for and He's like, you know, thankful for this and that. And he goes, man, he's like, thankful for a good partner. And then he looks at his partner and he goes, yeah, maybe I'll get one soon. Okay, okay, guess what? Bullying, you just made fun of him. That guy thinks, oh my God, I'm a bad partner. I'm going to go home and kill myself. Okay, total bullshit, total bullshit. That's called banter. Okay, it's called being human. So I'm allowed to have human emotions, but when I want to goof off with my partner, now I'm a bully. Stupid. Okay, stupid that it's perceived like that now. Did he use a position of higher power to extort something from the guy with lower power? No, it's just a comment. Okay, if you're not, if you're that maladjusted that you cannot take that comment for what it is, I don't know what job you're good at. I don't know what job you're well suited for. Probably not EMS. Do you complain when the when the patient talks shit to you? You know how many times I've looked at a patient and been like, meh, been called worse by better. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where half of this stuff comes from. Um, what What's happened to us as people? Uh, if you're a supervisor, avoid yelling or raising your voice when disciplining. Solid, solid advice, you know. Um, you know, it's pretty tempting to yell at people. I like when it says, especially when they continue to repeat bad behavior, behavior after you've already counseled them. Uh, what do you mean? repeat bad behavior. What's wrong with you? It's called progressive discipline. Verbal, written, second written, final written, bye. Go find another job. Uh, it's probably two writtens too many, if you ask me. Um, am I a hard ass? No. You know, again, the punishment needs to fit the crime. So, whatever. If you witness someone getting bullied, get involved. Uh, that's fine. You know, you sh if you see somebody, you know, there's, again, there's a level. And again, now if someone is kind of mentor, you watch a training officer mentor one of their trainees, you know, they, they fucked up on a call and they're being told, you know, I'd rather you not repeat that behavior. Don't let it happen again. You don't need to walk over there and be like, hey, uh, you're being kind of hard on that guy. Uh, you know, oh, well, you know, he uh, just uh, gave sucks and forgot to ventilate the patient for five minutes. You know, you're like, oh. Well, I'm just going to go back over here. Um, carry on. Um, there's times where, because of the severity of something, you might need a little stern talking to and a, a little bit more of a louder voice. Okay? Um, I don't, again, I don't perceive that as bullying. Okay? Is the training officer in a position of higher authority? Yep. Yep. Experience, stature, yes. Um, that's just the way of the world. Okay, that's the way of the world. Now, when you continue it, obviously, or, you know, you always bring that up. You're like, hey, remember that time you killed that guy? Blah, blah, blah. You know, you can't, there's there's a limit and you should know that. Okay, you, you should know that. Don't gossip. <laughs> Again, not really sure why you wrote that. It's a good suggestion. Uh, and even the first sentence says, we are all guilty of gossiping to a certain degree. Now, great. But if you're spreading rumors and stories that you think can be hurtful and you're just, you know, you're trying to destroy their life, yes, that's bullying. Absolutely. You can't do that. Uh, you shouldn't do that. Uh, do people do it? Absolutely. Uh, further, a lot of times these rumors are not even true. Even if you know the rumor's true, it's still best to keep the information to yourself. Eh, 
you know, some people are good at that. Some people aren't. Um, so now, again, it's back here. Just like EMS providers and firefighters, we must show care and compassion to patients and to the people we serve. We must show to a similar degree the care and compassion to our coworkers. Okay, again, no no question. Um, that doesn't mean you can't joke with them. That doesn't mean that every joke you say is bullying, you know. You can use every cliche you can think of. Perception is reality until change. That's fine. Um, you know, you know, have the fortitude to, or you know, to to talk, talk it out, uh, talk to your partner. Be like, dude, you know, that's not cool. Be like, oh, sorry, you know, and learn from that. You know, don't, you know, there's sometimes there's jokes that work and jokes that don't. Okay, uh, humor that works, humor that doesn't. You know, I'm not telling you there's a a, a cookie cutter template to to be a good person there's just shitty people out there um you know and i think being able to recognize um real bullying uh, is a is probably a, a, a decent skill to have you know again in in my day coming up it was just busting balls um i don't think i've ever felt bullied by anybody um but now looking at some of these definitions and some of these examples i'm like oh i think i bullied a lot of people and didn't even know it um so just something to think about um but again i think the i think the article kind of looked at it more from that legal aspect of i might have to come in here and defend somebody and you know i don't i don't want to go down that road and say well if you don't do these five things it'll be a lot easier to to make a case for you um so again back to those definitions you know what is bullying itself an imbalance of power uh and this came i got this from stopbullying.gov and it's more geared toward children school children but it says you know you know kids who bully use their power such as physical strength access to embarrassing information or popularity to control or harm others power imbalances can change over time and in different situations even if they involve the same people and then repetition bullying behaviors happen more than once or have the potential to happen more than once and that's it right there the repetition so you know you make one one off-color comment uh, about you know someone's patient care like the, the the cartoon the cartoon cell you know maybe I'll get a good partner one day if that guy's always like yeah you you fucking suck I, I wish I was working with so and so and I can't believe you're still here that okay <laughs> repeated that's, that's bullying you're the training officer you're like man I can't wait till your probation's up I don't think you're gonna make it you know there that's not jokes anymore <laughs> that's not a joke anymore so there's you know there's different types of bullying uh, you can have verbal bullying so you, if you say or write mean things um, so that's again now verbal bullying at the government definition teasing name calling inappropriate sexual comments never never right in the workplace obviously taunting threatening to cause harm um, you know then you have social bullying where um, that's referred to as relational bullying. It's hurting someone's reputation or relationships. So that's uh, like leaving somebody out on purpose, um, telling other people not to be friends with this person, spreading rumors, uh, embarrassing somebody in public. And then the, the typical, again, people, the old, the old people getting old like me, who thinks it's just physical, where that's involved, you know, on the playground, involves hurting a person's body or possession. So that can be hitting, kicking, or punching, spitting on somebody, tripping or pushing, taking or breaking someone's things, making mean or rude hand gestures. Um, you know, again, when you put your hands on somebody now and you're an adult, that's assault. It's battery. What's wrong with you? Um, there's a lot of data. I mean, there's actually a separation between youth and adult bullying, but those, I mean, I thought those were decent definitions that, you know, you can kind of use to to kind of 
as a guide. So, I mean, it's a thing. I don't think it's going anywhere. You do, obviously, we need to reduce it. You need to keep an eye on yourself, your partners and others to make sure they're not participating in it. You know, you shouldn't have to go to work and deal with that. We have enough other bullshit to deal with, you know, you know, like uh, bad weather, patients, difficult protocols, whatever it is, um, you know. But again, you still need to mentor. You need to correct incorrect behaviors you know you can't let that go either you got to find that happy medium and it comes down to just stop being a shitty person uh, you know just be just just be decent man just uh, treat everybody cool you know just treat everybody cool all right enough about bullying let's talk about some trauma stuff a little bit of trauma stuff here and uh and again because because this came up a, a couple different times in my social media i said ooh. You just made the podcast. So uh, this one showed up in police1.com, but it was uh, from a different report uh, from uh, some kind of like a little independent uh, site, I guess, from Slate. So it says where cop cars double as ambulances in Philadelphia, police often race shooting victims to the hospital rather than wait for paramedics, experts in trauma and policing say more cities should consider it. So right off the bat, you know, if you guys didn't know, um, I came from the suburbs of Philadelphia. I used to live in uh, Delaware County, Pennsylvania. It butts right up against Philadelphia. And uh, I, I worked uh, a third service, inner facility service, um, in the late 90s, uh, right before t- from what, 90, 97 to 2000. Uh, right before I went to paramedic school. And uh, I've seen this. Um, I was well aware of it uh, in, in the day, and it still goes on. It happened years before I even got into EMS, and this this article talks about that. <clears throat> so um, so it gives a story about this guy who was shot twice in the chest. Um, he was leaving a party, whatever. And uh, cops show up, and they look at this guy, and they throw him in the back of the, tr- of the cop car, and they take him to the trauma center. Now, I know that that headline said about uh, victims to the hospital. It's not the hospital. It's taken to a trauma center. Um, and then I w- it's important to understand in this, uh, in this article that, that they're not just going anywhere. They're going to the trauma center. So, um, and, and this guy lived. Uh, he made it to the trauma center. They worked on him. He, he lost a lot of blood. Uh, he, now, again, important to understand, this man received zero care in the back of that cop car. Uh, in fact, I don't even think one of the dudes, one of the cops sat with him. Uh, they both sat in the front, raced to the trauma center, and just dumped him off, okay? And said, here, here, this guy's been shot. And then the, the surgeon, like I said, the surgeon later told him he'd made it to the hospital with less than a minute to spare. So, hit a major artery in his chest, lost a lot of blood, and they saved him. So, again, if you're listening and you're in, you've been in EMS for any period of time, or you're, you just, you're in basic school, whatever, we, you Scoop and scoot, scoop and run versus stay and play. Okay, this this these, this guy got the scoop and scoot. <clears throat> so, like it says, uh, among cities with the highest rates of homicide, Philly is the only one where police routinely rush gunshot and stab victims to the nearest trauma center. And now it makes that delineation, uh, and they don't they don't wait for the ambulance. Uh, it's deeply entrenched among the city's law enforcement officers who focus their uh, their patrol in areas with the highest instances of violent crime, and as a result, frequently beat EMS to the scene. Great, okay, and that's a pretty much a universal thing. You know, cops are there first, fire department usually second, and EMS is usually third for 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 plenty of different reasons whether it's a resource region reason or staging reasons um, as as far as dispatch protocols response protocols and configurations so like there's the quote the sense has always been get that person to the hospital quick 
Um, and it's just something that you do. And they've been doing it for years with 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 decent results. So it says last year, uh, 1,223 shooting victims were delivered to the uh, city trauma center in the back of a police car uh, or a, a wagon. Um, it's a lot of people uh, who came in by cop car versus ambulance. So... Temple University Hospital, Temple Trauma, great trauma center. Uh, one of the busiest hospitals for uh, gunshot patients. So it's a borderline of, of uh, coming into North Philadelphia there. A uh, lot of trauma there. And there's about 70% of the victims there had penetrating trauma. They arrived by a police vehicle or a private vehicle or walk-in. Um, I, I, I can remember, uh, I can remember watching, pulling in, uh, my last job before I went to paramedic school was uh, critical care transport. I was an EMT on a critical care transport truck and we were stationed at a small hospital, uh, Episcopal hospital in, uh, in Northfield, in North Philadelphia, um, not a trauma center. And we would get a lot of people dumped off there, overdoses and just, you know, think of the smallest band-aid station you can think of that's receiving trauma all the time. And we would stabilize them in the ED and then drive down typically to temple trauma uh, with a normal trauma alert in our facility and then put them in the trauma bay and then let them do their thing. Um, you know, people would come up, the car would scream up, they dump some dude out. And you're like, Hey, what's this guy's name? And they're like, I don't know. But they'd be like, help my friend. Where is where's he coming from? Under the bridge. You know, like, okay, drag him in there and patch him up and get a couple lines started, put him back in the ambulance and then drive down to the trauma center. Um, so, you know, it's the, and then while we did a transfer, where I was going with that story was one night we did a transfer and as we dumped somebody off at trauma, Temple Trauma, we watched the little, the little corner store across from the ambulance ramp. Uh, get robbed and the dude gets shot on the thing and we walk across the street pull him across the street into the trauma bay um it was one of the craziest things i've ever seen um but and you talk about walk in or arrive by some other way i mean it was just our little third service ambulance we're like hey, that guy just got shot and you know the dude ran and we're like all right let's go get him drag him across the street and you know we didn't even put him in the stretcher we just picked him up and put him in the trauma bay we're like hey we found this guy outside <laughs> So uh, I absolutely get it. So the cops receive basic training on uh, treating gunshot wounds, how to apply a tourniquet. Most victims they transport receive little or no medical care. Now for EMS listening to this, you guys are really freaking out. I absolutely like, oh my God, put the trauma trauma dressing on, quick clot. We got to put the tourniquets on high and tight. Dude, they're not doing it. Okay, they're not doing it. You're lucky if they even get direct pressure because half the time nobody sits in the back with this patient because they're laying on the seat. So, um, you know, it, that's the essence of scoop and run. And there's the trauma docs are saying they believe it's saving lives. So now, special to Philadelphia, uh, there are eight trauma centers. There is literally a trauma center on every corner, and they're all busy. Every single one of them are busy. Um, you know, but just what do we know? What do we know in EMS? Trauma is a surgical disease. Get me to the surgeon. Bright lights, cold steel, the, all the all those adages you've heard coming up and used throughout the years. Um, you know, they're they're proving it. They're proving it in Philadelphia. Um, but like I said, they are unique. Uh, the cops have taken ownership of it, and uh, like I said, it, it's been going on for years, for years, um, for years, and it's accepted. Um, so uh, you know, a lot of you probably think you know these cops should stay in their lane. Um, you know, let me do my job. Um, and you know, it's not it's not meant to that. It's not meant to be that way. It's not a you know, it's not a turnkey solution uh, for everybody, and you know, that should definitely be something to think about. Um, the other thing here is that, you know, 
we know we've kind of discounted the cold, the golden hour, like, oh, it was built on a, it was come up with, they thought it up on a napkin at a bar. You know, we have so much better surgical techniques today. You know, we've extended that out. We still have that platinum 10 minutes. You know, we still want to, we still want to, we don't want to, we don't want to stay in play. And, and that's what they're trying to prove here. They're saying it's working. Get these patients to a trauma center. Get these patients to a surgeon. Get these patients to blood. Um, and, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to improve outcomes. Um, now, to me, you know, this guy, he says, this guy, the shooting victim, he's like, man, you know, they're my heroes. I'm eternally grateful for them. You know, I think this is also another reason why simple trauma care, you know, it, like uh, TCCC and TECC, you know, tourniquets and chest seals and, and um, hemostatic gauze is um, is pretty crucial uh, for everybody. I mean, again, you know, we all want to do a ton of cool shit, cool ALS shit. Let's put bilateral IVs in. Let's drill this dude's arm. Um, you know, no, let's, you know, stop the bleeding and get him to the hospital. You know, that's where, that's where we need to, that's where we need to focus on. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing a good job. Long held tradition. Most of these guys can't uh, imagine their jobs without it. And that's awesome. Last year, they took, the cops took 408 gunshot victims to Philadelphia trauma centers. Okay. 408 of them. Um, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, Presbyterian, actually, one of the one of the other trauma centers in Philadelphia, they actually put a, a little drop-off spot for the cop cars, not even for the ambulance. So the cop car can just drive up and get the dude out, get the patient out, and bring him right in. Um, that's kind of cool. Um, so back in 95, they kind of compared the mortality rates of assault victims transported by police versus medics, and they were finding there wasn't really a significant difference in survival. Um, and then a year later, the Philadelphia police actually made it policy that they could drive gunshot and stabbing victims and not wait for EMS. Um, I started in 92. I got my EMT in 96. And this was this was going on well before that, well before that. Um, I started with a transfer service in 97. And uh, they, we, you know, I did the critical care in '99 to 2000 before I left for school. So, uh, and we watched it. We watched it every night, and, and it worked. I mean, it worked. Um, what else? I mean, it, it really just kind of goes on to say, hey, it's a good idea. And you know, it's hard to. They were trying to say, like, well, you know, let's uh, let's try this other places. It's kind of hard to catch on. And again, people look at the the liability issues. Um, you know, or the other typical, well, why do I have paramedics? And again, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it come up in studies in the past where advanced procedures like ET tubes and IV fluids. So there's, they're helpful in some patients, but in trauma patients, you know, they're probably, again, where time, time is of the essence, you know, they're, they're we're wasting time. We're keeping them from the surgeon. We're keeping them from blood. Um, and then not to mention, you know, you want to infuse normal saline and, and not blood, pasta water, you know, that's just what to do and contribute into that, that trauma triad. You're making them cold. You're making them acidotic and you're washing out clotting factors so you know not not helping not you're not helping get them to the hospital like i said everybody wants to do cool als shit let's get the tube in let's drill their bones let's do this let's do that you know if you're not stopping the bleeding and replacing those red cells you know we and 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 fixing the the internal damage i mean you got somebody shot in the belly it's non-compressible hemorrhage you know what are you doing by hanging out there that iv is not stopping that hemorrhage so you just got to accept it. There's plenty of other calls where we're going to do cool ALS shit. These patients need cool BLS shit. If you want to feel better about yourself, call it cool tactical shit and be like, yeah, I put a tourniquet on or yeah, I did, a wound, I did wound packing or yeah, I had to do a crike, you know, emergency airway. Yeah, I, I get it. I absolutely get it. 
So, uh, so yeah, um, they talked about, uh, you know, they have an understanding based on the medical evidence, the goal, the entire public safety enterprise to get the penetrating trauma patients to the nearest trauma center. And again, even the police department, they don't say hospital, they, just, they say trauma center. They're not just going to the closest neighborhood small hospital, they're going to a trauma center. And, uh, you know, I, there, you know, there's some, I think there's some room for improvement, um, they said other police departments, um, what they were, they're letting their officers do it, including Chicago, Detroit, Stockton, California. They haven't really, those departments don't do it on a regular basis like, uh, like Philly does. Um, you know, and there's some other stuff that goes along with that culture. Um, the, the culture of the departments has a lot to do it, uh, a lot to do with it. So, you know, this is one of those things that's kind of hard to, hard to catch on. And, you know, you gotta have that access to that level one trauma center. You know, I don't see this like doing it just to do it. Um, you've got to have that stuff in place. Um, you've got to have, I think you need to have a little bit of training. I think me uh, personally in a perfect world, I would be training my police officers in TCCC or TECC, um, you know, tr- treating those causes of pre- preventable battlefield death. Um, I'd have one guy drive, one guy would sit in the back uh, trying to put direct pressure, trying to make sure those tourniquets are tight, wound pack if needed, chest seal, um, you know, and definitely notify the hospital somewhere or the other, um, you know, back in again old days in philadelphia they used to have this thing called the haste system h-a-s-t-e hospital let's see what was it hospital something hospital alert system tone encoded and that thing was awesome because you could listen to it citywide and uh you know you would be on the medic truck you'd hear the medic truck and be like you know philly you know medic eight they like, medicates in route to Hahnemann with a 25 year old uh trauma transport multiple gunshot wounds unstable vitals eta 10 minutes and then the dispatcher would say, all you're going to stand by while I haste the hospital. And then they would send out a tone. It would open up an intercom over the intercom at Hahnemann Trauma. And you'd hear that report again. And that would be, you know, now we got pagers and, you know, you know the trauma pager goes off. Everything's internal. You know, you don't need that anymore. But it was always cool to listen to. Um, but they got a notification. So if the cops could notify, like, hey, I'm transporting Wanda Temple. Guy's been shot. That's fine. They know a shooting's coming here by cop car. Don't expect the medics to roll in on a stretcher. Um, but again, with a little extra training, do expect the, the medics to carry this or the the cops to carry this guy in with a tourniquet in place or a chest seal in place. I think that would be I think that would be very beneficial. You're not taking extra time. You can do that stuff in route. You're moving them toward the surgeon. You know, beneficial for everybody. So it's gonna it's gonna require a little bit of changing culture. Um, you know. It's not a turnkey solution. And you know what? I know what I said about Narcan and the cops in the in episode one. Um, you know, I, it's very easy to say, stay in your lane, cops. Do do cop stuff. I don't do cop stuff when I get out there. Um, but again, it, it, it's in context. You know, it's in context. Stop the bleed is, is, is a very simple thing to train. Um, you know, trauma is a surgical disease. Trauma is easy. You know, stop the bleeding, go to the surgeon versus learning the pathophysiology of... <clears throat> respiratory or CNS depression and the use of opiates and the uh, pharmacodynamics of Narcan. I think it's a little bit different there. I also think that EMS should be the ones who are teaching the cops these stop the bleed programs, kind of promote interagency uh, training, you know, get a little bit of better insight into what each agency does or, you know, how we can help each other. And again, I think it just kind of builds that, that relationship and, you know, cuts down on the bullying 
Um, not really, but um, it definitely, I think it would help. Um, I think it's a great program, not just because it's Philadelphia uh, and, I, and I came from there, but, um, you know, you've got to have those things in place. Like it says, you know, Philadelphia has five adult level one trauma centers all within close proximity where like a, they were trying to think about doing this in Cleveland. They have just two and they're on the opposite sides of town. There's a time and a place for this. It's not a turnkey solution, but if you have the, uh, if you have the means, you know, it's something to look into. I think it's going to be good for a lot of people, especially people who've been shot or stabbed. The other part of this though, um, you know, you have cops driving crazy through the city. Um, but they're good at it because they do it every day. The uh, article also talks about some of the legalities of it. Worried that uh, they'd be sued. Some places are worried they'd be sued for not giving good pre-hospital care. And uh, there, there were two issues in Philadelphia where family members were like, hey, if they would have had an ambulance, they might not have died. And I think they were both settled out of court. But, um, you know, it's just something to think about. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a good article. It popped up a couple times. It garnered some discussion. And every discussion on the different boards, whether it was a tactical medicine page, EMS page, cop page, it was all the same thing. You know, it was like, well, you know, stay in your lane. And I think versus some people like, I think it's a good idea. And then there were some plenty, there were plenty of cops who were like, yeah, I've done this a hundred times. Not all Philadelphia cops and not all the trauma centers. Um, but again, it's, you know, move, move toward definitive care. There's no reason to watch somebody lay there and bleed. Uh, some simple training, some simple equipment. I think you, we should definitely be pushing for trauma kits like real trauma kits in every cop car along with the training um you know yeah we've had plenty of cops put tourniquets on and we've even had a cop we had a cop um uh, maybe two years ago now in the summer uh he he did i don't think he knew he did it um or maybe he did uh he he wound packed a uh, a stab wound a severe stab wound and uh i'm pretty sure uh saved this kid's life I'm uh, pretty sure that he saved this kid's life. Uh, we looked at, uh, or I looked at, our tourniquets at our service. Um, most of them are applied by cops, not by EMS. Uh, because, again, it was done before we get there because they're typically there first. You know, like I said, police first and then fire and then us. Uh, you know, we're usually, unless it happened right in front of us or we were first, you know, we're, we're just rechecking them, making sure they're tight and the bleeding stops. So a couple things to think about, you know. And uh, as always, I appreciate you guys listening. And uh, we're on YouTube now. I've seen some of the the videos uh, get uh, get some views there, some some subscribers. So stop by, subscribe. You guys can check out the uh, the link at the uh, the bottom of the show notes here. If you guys head over there, subscribe. And right now it's just uh, video versions of uh, the podcast itself. And pretty soon there's going to be some uh, different uh, presentations on there. You know, kind of like mini Con Ed type things. Um, what else? You know, Instagram, Facebook, we're everywhere, Twitter. Um, so if you guys want to go find us, just search Medica Podcast in your browser and it'll find us somewhere. And you click like, subscribe, you tell your friends. I keep making content. We talk, things are cool, you learn, I learn, and uh, we get better out there. So, guys, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you all next week.